morning, guys. Who did the uh, hot chocolate run today? Nobody. Okay, we don't have any runners in the church. Good to know. Yeah, I, I live on the other side of the park. It took me 20 minutes to get here because of the hot chocolate run, but, uh, and I'm glad none of you enjoyed it. Okay. Um, so uh, I started dating my wife, who's right over there, seven years ago. I, I hadn't been on a date for 30 years. And, and so when I started dating, I was like really insecure about my dating skills. And, and so I did things, and I've shared stories in the past, how I looked up WikiHow on how to kiss a woman, because I'd forgotten how. So WikiHow is very helpful. There's five steps if you just kiss from the lips. There's seven steps if it's a French kiss. So I was memorizing the steps and like practicing in front of the mirror and that kind of thing in case that ever happened. And then um, I had this assistant at the time, my executive assistant, her name was Robin, and we'd been friends before, uh, before we uh, became like work partners. And so we had not the most professional relationship, okay? So she was, she was always giving me advice on dating and, and calling me a nerd and stuff because I was so like overthinking everything. And I'd, I'd have like an outfit and I'd go, what do you think? And I'd wear this if I got with her. And she's like, yeah, it's okay, but change the shirt. And um, so on Valentine's Day, we'd only gone on two dates. And I was like, should I do something for Carissa? I called her. I go, what do you think? Should I drop off some flowers or anything? And, and she said, you're such a nerd. Um, you're, you're way overthinking this. You're not asking her to marry you. You're just dropping off some flowers. Yes, get her some flowers. So got her some flowers, got her a card. And I texted her and said, hey, uh, dropped some stuff off on your front porch. Just thinking about you. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay. Didn't think about the rest of the day. Didn't give any more thought to it. And then we had a Saturday evening service. This is pre-COVID, obviously, and, uh, at our old building. And I, I, I'm getting you know, ready to go up and preach, and she walks in. And so she's going to hear me preach, I thought, for the first time. And uh, I was like getting really nervous. And so I preached, and then uh, afterwards I go, well, gosh, you want to go out to dinner? And she goes, yeah. And so she said, I'm going to go get some food. Why don't I meet you at your house? And now I'm getting really nervous. I'm like, whoa, she's coming to my house. I'm not, this is like... I. I'm out of my comfort zone here. So she brings some food over. And I had begun to drink wine a little bit before I started dating because I thought, you know, that's romantic wine. I should learn how to drink wine. I'm from Kansas. You know, PBR it was my past. But, and so I, I didn't know anything about wine, like at all, because I'd never drank this stuff really, except for, you know, like other people's homes. And so I, I, I bought this bottle of wine, opened it, drank a little bit. I go, that's kind of good. Left it in the refrigerator for two weeks. Yeah, I didn't know that, okay? I didn't know box wine lasts, bottles. Okay, so I didn't know that. And then she comes to the house, we're having dinner, and I'm thinking, she's going to be so impressed with me because I'm pouring her a glass of wine. This is so romantic. I got a candle, and I lit, lit the candle. And then um, she didn't know I was looking, but she spit the wine back in the cup because it was so bad, it was so, so sour. So um, two lessons learned from that event. Number one is uh, don't be an idiot if you're a guy. Don't think you can fake it till you make it because you can't. It, it always backfires on you. Lesson number one. And then lesson number two is life is too short for bad wine. Can I hear an amen, amen. from somebody? Okay, okay. All right. So if you're just dropping in and you haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, we are in a series of messages in John chapter 15. Jesus talks about him being like this vine, this true vine. And we're like the branches. And if we are, are an intimate fellowship and connection with him, we will bear all, all kinds of fruit. Thus, we will be fine wine. Get it? Fine wine. That's us. So uh, today, I want to be in, uh, with you in John chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. And uh, we're going to talk about how life is too short to be like a bad wine. And so uh, we're going to talk about three things. One, what creates bad wine, also known as plonk. The British call bad wine plonk. Isn't that a great British kind of word? So we're going to talk about how not to be plunk, and then uh, we're going to talk about how to become a spiritual sommelier, okay? I'm working this metaphor as hard as I can today. Are you not impressed? Are you not entertained? Okay. Uh, and then uh, we're going to talk about how to stay connected to the divine vine so we can become like a fine wine. Even there, I'm working hard today. I'm making stuff rhyme. All right. You guys ready? All right, here we go. For the note takers, let's talk about what creates bad wine, also known as plunk. So I looked up plunk, and apparently in, in Britain, there are websites devoted to plunk, to bad wine. So uh, one of the websites has this grouping of like bad wines. Can we have the bad wine? There we go. You, you don't want to drink that stuff, apparently, in Britain. So there's a website, all the kind of wines in Britain that you do not want to drink because they're, they're bad wines. So Jesus says in John 15, 6, we're going to start with verse 6 because it's kind of, it comes kind of strong on us. It's... Um, it's kind of some bad news, and then we go to verse 5, the good news, okay? We're going to reverse the order. Jesus says, if you do not remain in me, 
You're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Is that kind of scary? It's kind of a scary verse. Okay. Uh, but Jesus often says scary things to get us to reflect on our lives and, and where we are in our relationship with God. So there's two possible interpretations according to like Bible scholars regarding how do you interpret this verse. Um, one is that Jesus is talking about fruitless disciples. They're disciples, but they're just not bearing any fruit. Because Jesus taught you can't lose your salvation. If you're saved, you're right with God, you're in Christ, you can't lose your salvation. In fact, he said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He's saying, if, if you're in me, I got a grip on you and I'm not ever gonna let go. You can never lose your salvation. Okay? And so many scholars go, well, he's just talking about disciples that just don't have any fruit, which begs the question, can you be a fruitless disciple? And there are some passages that indicate perhaps you can, one of them being 1 Corinthians 3. I'm not gonna go into it right now, but it's possible to get, get before God in heaven and not have any fruit to show for your life, but you're still saved. And I hope that, that these scholars are right. I hope they're right, that you can be a fruitless disciple. But Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And so you can, it makes you wonder, like, can you actually be a fruitless disciple? Which leads us to the next interpretation is that uh, there are fake disciples. They, they look like disciples, but they're not really disciples. They never really were saved. And, and we know that because they never bore any fruit. Or they bore fruit for a while and they stopped bearing fruit. And, and many scholars say that's what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about branches that, that are thrown away because they've, they've withered, they're picked up and put into a fire and burned, okay? Um, there are judgment day parables in, in the scriptures. Uh, one of them is the, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, I grew up all over the country, east coast, west coast, but I lived in Kansas in high school. Any Kansas people? Come on, Jayhawks, five and oh. I know there's gotta be, didn't you go to KU? Come on, five and oh, that's, that's worth celebrating, okay. You and I are filling it, no one else is. Uh, so it, there's obviously a lot of wheat in Kansas, and uh, I, I, for a while, I don't know if I could still do this, but I could look at wheat and a tear side by side, and I can tell the difference, okay? Because I'm such a Kansan. Uh, goats, sheep and goats, another parable, another parable. So anybody seen a mountain goat recently? Okay, you got, you got billies, you got nannies. Can you tell the difference? Like e even like skilled hunters from their glassing have a hard time telling the difference between a, a, a nanny and a billy. So Jesus uses both of these parables, and I think along with this one in John 15, 6, to say at judgment day, when we stand before God, there will be people who, who claim to be disciples of Jesus. And maybe he looked something like a disciple, but they never really were. Kind of scary, isn't it? And he'll separate those who looked like disciples who proclaimed to be disciples, but weren't from those who actually, actually were. And so we have to remember the, the context here. It's, it's in the context of the Last Supper that Jesus gives this parable. And so who was there? The 12 disciples. And uh, if you remember from week one, they uh, were celebrating the Passover meal. And then Jesus reframed that meal in light of, of the, his going to the cross and the resurrection and therefore the Lord's Supper, which we'll participate in here in a little while. And the 12 disciples are there, including Judas. And then um, as they're having the meal, Jesus has this bowl. Doesn't tell us in scripture what was in the bowl. I'm kind of picturing hummus maybe, you know, and some, some pita bread. And they're taking turns like getting this stuff out of the bowl. And then Jesus says, one of you will, will betray me. And they're like, who's going to betray you? Not me, not me, not me. And as Judas takes uh, some bread and dips it into the bowl, he says, the one whose hand is in the dish will betray me. So this takes place. Uh, the meal comes to an end. Judas leaves. And so Judas goes to the Sanhedrin to get their, their police to come. And uh, they're going to meet uh, Jesus in the Mount of Olives because he says, I'm going to go there and pray. And, and he's betrayed him. And so by the time that Jesus actually gives this parable, of, of the vine and the branches and the fruit, uh, J Judas is gone. He's with the 11 disciples and they're walking towards the Mount of Olives where Jesus would uh, pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and they're going through the Kidron Valley between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And as they're going through the Kidron Valley, it was a vineyard full of grapes and, and vines and he's giving this, this parable. And so when he gets to verse six and says that some branches uh, will not remain and they will be thrown away and they'll be burned, he probably was talking about Judas. I mean, I can kind of picture the disciples as they're listening to Jesus 
tell this like spellbounding parable and he says, some will not remain. They're probably thinking about, wait, wait, wait. Is he talking about Judas? Peter's like, James, is he talking about Judas? Matthew, what do you think? I think he's talking about Judas. Yeah. Because for a while, Jesus, uh, Judas looked like a disciple. He remained with Jesus for two and a half plus years. But he didn't stay with Jesus. The way to know that we're really saved is over a period of time, we will remain in Jesus until we stand before him and we will bear fruit over time, a growing amount of fruit. And so Jesus is warning us, don't be a Judas branch. Don't be a branch that doesn't remain. And so this is really tricky stuff. Like Jesus wants us to feel assured that we are saved and not be questioning, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? He wants us to know we are saved, 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 okay? If we've received his, his gospel and, and we have his spirit inside of us, we've been baptized and, and we're walking with him, we're saved. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to get too cocky. He wants us to examine ourselves every once in a while and go, am I bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? The repentance that led me to Jesus in the first place. And so we're all to be like fruit inspectors when it comes to our lives, are we bearing the kind of fruit that is evidence that we are in Christ, his life is in us, and we're walking with him? Okay. So in a few minutes, we're gonna take uh, the Lord's Supper, and it says in 1 Corinthians 11 that before we take the Lord's Supper, we're to examine ourselves. Okay. So again, not trying to scare anybody, but we need to take this seriously. So let's talk about how to get disconnected. Like, how does that actually happen? How do you become like a Judas branch? I mean, you don't have to betray Jesus to get disconnected. It's, it's actually really easy to get disconnected. So four possibilities. One is there's no connection in the first place. Um, if Jesus fell away, there never was a true, organic, authentic uh, connection to Jesus. Because if you have a connection with Jesus, you really are saved, you're, you're going to remain until, until you stand before God. And so it's possible to either not hear the gospel or you never want God. I, I asked a guy the other day at a, at a Walgreens, he said, hey man, can I pray for you? He, goes, he said, no, I don't pray. You know, a lot of people, honestly, they just don't want God. They don't want a connection. They don't want union, right? I don't have time right now to talk about the logic of hell, but God has created a place for people who just flat do not want him. And again, I hate talking about hell, but you know, I got friends who have cancer that are here today, and I don't like talking about cancer either, but it's real. And so we have to talk about cancer, we have to talk about hell. There are some people who just do not want God, and God's, okay, okay. If you don't want my will... You, you can have your will. Your will be done. You don't have to be with me. You don't have to have connection with me. Okay. So some people just don't want a union or they don't know how to have a union. They don't know how to connect to God. Uh, we live in a very, very unchurched city, a very post-Christian city. Two to 3% of the people in the city limits go to church on a, a given month. Uh, it used to be weekly. Now we just talk monthly. Just people are going less and less. Um, in the burbs, it's like nine to 14%. And yet there, there is a, a, like... I think hundreds of thousands of people who want God, they just don't know how to get connected. Okay. So yesterday I was playing soccer. Actually, no, I was watching soccer. My son played. I kicked the ball once, once or twice. And uh, the lady who was organizing the soccer uh, field and all the, all the stuff going on uh, works for Skyview. Uh, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with her. Her name's Allie. Pray for Allie. Allie, if you're watching, hope to see you soon. Okay. And when I started sharing with her, she leaned in. Some people lean away like, I don't want anything to do with that. Other people, you, you share your faith a little bit, they lean in. There are so many people in the city who will lean in if we'll just open our mouths and share Jesus with them. Amen, somebody? Amen. Okay, in fact, we had, a, we had a woman that came, a Muslim woman came to faith in the last service. Is that cool? We put our hands together for that. That's awesome. So as a church, man, we're, we're aggressive about sharing our faith. We, we're not annoying, but we, we try to be very proactive in sharing our faith because there's a lot of people who need a connection with Jesus. They need that union. Um, another way, though, we, we get disconnected is this disobedience. Um, if we disobey God, we disconnect from God. The only way we, we, we grow in our connection is we obey. When we get to verses 9 through 17, we'll see this theme again and again and again. To abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus, we have to obey Jesus. We have to surrender moment by moment by moment. And there's the sins of omission and commission. There's things we know that we, we should do that we don't do. You know, like being generous, like sharing our faith, like, like praying, like, like seeking God, like loving people, choosing to help the poor. There's things that we know we shouldn't do that we, that we do. We shouldn't drink too much. We shouldn't you know, watch pornography. We shouldn't sleep around. We shouldn't allow envy and prejudice to reside in our hearts. 
And so whenever we do something we shouldn't do or we don't do something we should do, we, we disconnect a little bit from Jesus. And, and you do that frequently enough over time, you, your heart gets a little hard and then it gets harder and harder and then you get disconnected for good. Uh, number three, spiritual laziness. We just get lazy. You know, we just don't do the things that we need to do to grow spiritually. We stop praying. We start re- stop reading the Bible. We stop you know, going to our simple church. We stop worshiping. We stop, stop helping the poor. We stop using our spiritual gifts to build one another up. We just get spiritually lazy. And then finally, uh, and there's more, but I think the one that is a biggest, the biggest challenge for us as a church is we just get too damn busy. And I chose my words very intentionally. Our busyness is damning us. I think this is the biggest challenge we face as a church. We are so busy. We are so mobile. We are so busy going, going, going. The frenetic pace of culture. Our FOMO is just driving us and driving us and driving us. And we're not, we're not still enough to remain in Jesus. We don't say put enough to remain in Jesus. You know, branches, they don't move around a whole lot, do they? Your branches don't go jumping from vine to vine to vine. You know, the, 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 the job of the branch is to stay still and be in the vine. So the, vine, the life of the vine can get into the branch and so that the branch can bear fruit that, that glorifies God and it leads to life. So we gotta slow down. We gotta slow down. I, I read a book this week called, uh, what's it called? There's something of stability. What's that slide, Donnie? Oh, that one. The Wisdom of Stability. And it was about a guy that... Uh, in his 20s, he just was chasing every kind of hobby, trying to get as many like, marks in his passport, stamps as possible. And uh, he realized that, that his lifestyle was like being very deleterious to him spiritually. And so he chose to slow down, move into a neighborhood, and basically try to do most of the life within a square mile. He'd make friends, get to know the people at the grocery store, the people he buys groceries from, really get to know his neighbors, like have them over. And in the book, he describes how, how helpful that was to him spiritually. Now, I'm not saying we don't move around, that we don't vacation anymore, that we don't, don't get stamps on our passport, but we should examine ourselves and go, are we just going too fast? Are we, are we, too, are we too mobile? Um, those of us who are parents, are, are we so busy chasing uh, this vacation, that vacation, and are we so busy with our kids chasing soccer balls and piano lessons and all this kind of stuff that, that when we get older and our kids get older, None of us are chasing Jesus, not the parents of the kids, because we are so busy chasing opportunities and chasing soccer balls. You know, we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves these questions. And I'm, I'm a brand new dad again. I got five kids. If you're new, I got old ones. I got new ones. Soccer yesterday. We started piano. Like, I'm, 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 I got to deal with this tension too. But we all have to, I think, examine ourselves and go, are we doing too much? Are we too busy to have a relationship with Jesus? Thank you. Because here's the deal. There is not enough time in a day or in our life to do our will and God's will. We got to pick one. Human nature is, oh, I can do both. I can have the life I want and I can follow Jesus. No. Jesus says, you follow me. You take up your cross. You die to that. You die to your will. You follow me. We only have time to do God's will. So I'm not trying to scare anybody today, but... uh, Let's examine ourselves in light of verse six and ask ourselves, are we remaining in Jesus? Do we have a union with him to begin with? Have we actually received him as our savior, as our Lord? And are we staying in him? Are we growing in him? Are we delighting in him? Are we fellowshipping in him? Is the fruit evident in our lives that indicates we are actually in relationship with Jesus? Don't the devil get in your head asking you to think about questions that aren't true, like, am I a Christian or not? But at the same time, go, oh, okay, I'm only a Christian because of my faith in Christ, but do I have the fruit that is in keeping with repentance? Are you following me? Let's live in that tension, okay? All right, uh, number two, how to become a spiritual samaye. All right, our, uh, our simple church has a samaye in it. Uh, her name is Katie, Katie Butler. She was at uh, the eight o'clock service. And so we love going to her house because the wine, the wine's good at all our houses that we, uh, we have our simple church gathering in. Her wine's the best. So we, we love going to Katie and, and Jason's house. And uh, so you're new to our church. And you're like, uh, what is this simple church? I keep hearing about this. or I'm hearing about it for the first time. So there are small groups and there are simple churches. Lots of churches have small groups. 
So in a small group, if you're, uh, you've never been to one, typically you get together, maybe you have a meal, maybe you don't, and you share prayer requests and you, you care for each other. But uh, then you, you get in the scriptures and you, you think about what you're reading and you talk about it and then you go home, okay? Which is good. We have some small groups in our church and they're, they're great. Uh, a simple church is a little different. So small groups are, are more about knowledge and they tend to be more internally focused and simple churches tend to be more about obeying what we read in the scripture and they tend to be more externally focused. So in a simple church, we love each other. We're a spiritual family. We practice the one another commandments of Jesus, but then we also seek to make disciples. And we're trying to practice what we're reading, not just hear it and forget about it, okay? So uh, our, our simple church is here in Wash Park and uh, we go from house to house, like I mentioned, and uh, uh, we do three things. We look back for a little bit and we say, how's it going with Jesus this week? And we prayed this for you last week. How, did that happen? Has that, has that improved in your life? And then uh, we hold each other accountable. Like, okay, last week we said we we're gonna do these things. How, how's that going? And we said we'd share our faith with so-and-so. How's that going? And, and then we express our gratitude. Like, you know, what are you thankful for? And it's actually just a time of joy. So usually we, we gather for 30 minutes, eat a meal, drink some wine. Then we look back for 30 minutes. Then we look up and we read a short passage of scripture. And then we ask questions about it. We meditate on it together. We ask questions like, what's it say about us, about God? What's coming up for us as we're reading this? And, and then we look ahead and we, we try to put it into practice. We go, how can we actually do this? Let's not just read this and walk away and forget what we just read, but how can we actually put it into practice in our daily lives so that we can be more connected to Jesus and bear fruit for Jesus, okay? And then we set some goals for like uh, sharing our faith, making disciples. Sometimes we set goals to start new simple churches and that's what we do every single time we gather. So um, when we go to Katie's house, the wine's always really good because she's a distributor. And so we love Katie's house, Jason's house. Ooh, we love it, we love it. And she's a sommelier, okay? And so Katie has forgotten more about wine than I'll ever know. And so when she tastes wine, she's like, oh yeah, there's hints here of tart cherry and tobacco. And then I'll taste the same wine. I'll go, yeah, there's hints here of sour fermented grape juice and cheese whiz because I just ate some cheese or whatever. You know, like, so she's like, she's an expert at wine. I'll, I'll, I'll never know all the stuff she knows, but I sure appreciate her knowledge of wine. Well, as disciples of Jesus, uh, we are to become spiritual sommeliers. We are to understand the various kinds of fruit that God wants to grow in our lives as we abide in his son, Jesus Christ. So a little Bible study on fruits in the Bible, six types of spiritual fruit. Number one, the fruit of the spirit. Uh, Jason, in his excellent message last week, talked about this. Galatians 5, 23 through 24. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are character qualities. The promise of scripture is if we remain in Jesus, the, these character qualities of God, the very attributes of God will become more and more manifest in our lives. Is that good news? Yeah. Another kind of fruit, the fruit of holiness. Romans 6, But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you reap leads to holiness and the outcome is eternal life. So holiness is different than character. Um, character is about who you are. Holiness is about how set apart you are. The word holy, it, it literally means to be set apart. So God is, he's set apart from us because he's morally perfect. We're all tainted by, you know, sinful motives and actions and behaviors in the fall. God's perfect. He's holy. So when we worship God for his holiness, we're, we're acknowledging he's perfectly pure. He's morally pure. He's always, always good. He's always righteous. He always does the right things for the right reasons. He's perfect in every way. But the promise of, of the Bible and this verse actually is that if we remain in Jesus, we will grow in holiness and we'll become more and more set apart like God. And as that happens, we'll either be the fragrance of life or death for people as we become increasingly holy. Um, number three, the fruit of good works. Colossians 1.10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So as we grow in Christ, there's just gonna be this trail of good works behind us, a wake of good works behind us. And so just like a, you know, wine at a meal, it lifts the spirits of people. Um, we will lift the spirits of people. When we're in the presence of people because Jesus is in us, we'll make them better people. They're gonna feel God's love. They're gonna feel God's grace. They're gonna feel God's compassion as we interact with them. 
there'll be people behind us that, that have had lives transformed because we gave to them. We helped them in their poverty. We helped them in their emotional distress. We, we led them to Jesus. Which brings me to number four, the fruit of disciple making. Luke chapter 10, verse two says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Jesus is sending out the disciples two by two. And he's teaching them to pray and look for people of peace. But he says, out there, the, the harvest is plentiful. There's all kinds of people who are looking for Jesus. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, we're in a very post-Christian city, but even in this city, there are hundreds of thousands of people, I'm convinced, that, that long to know Jesus, but they haven't met him yet. And our job is to share the gospel with them, but not just help them come to a profession of faith and get baptized. Our job is to help them grow as disciples. We stay with them. We teach them how to become self-feeders. We help them grow in the ways of Jesus. We help them understand you know, the teaching of the scriptures until they can stand on their own two feet and make disciples themselves. Number five, the fruit of generosity. Romans 15, 28 says, therefore, when I've finished this and I've put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. So here's the context. Uh, Paul, he's, he's um, uh, left Macedonia and Achaia. He's writing a letter to Rome and he's taking up this offering because back in Jerusalem, there's been a famine and many of the Jews are they're poor and they're hungry. And so he's gathering money so they can eat and he's urging the Romans to participate in this offering. And then we know he actually, through other letters in the, in, the, in the Bible, we know he actually brought this, this offering, got it to Jerusalem safely, and, and these people were blessed. And so as we grow in the ways of Jesus, we will become increasingly generous. In fact, to, to the world around us, we will seem irrationally generous. And so as a church, one of our values is being a river, not a lake. We're not trying to hang on to our resources. We're not trying to hang on to people. In fact, we do just the opposite. We give money away, we give people away. Our church planners, they say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be starting a church in this area. And we go, okay, great. Here's our database. Here's, the, here's all the people in those zip codes. Fish away. If you can get them to come with you, more power to you, they're yours. Uh, three weeks ago, we did a Shark Tank event for six church planters. Some of these church planters are doing disciple-making movement work. Others are creating prevailing models you know, of church where you've got buildings and stuff like this. And uh, we raised $175,000 and more money is yet to come in. Is that cool? So why don't I clap for that? That might be worth clapping. Okay. We'll do a year in offering pretty soon and we'll raise money for the poor like, we, like we're doing for the people who are the victims of Hurricane Ian. Uh, we want to be a radically generous church because that's one of the fruits that becomes evident in our lives as we, as we abide in Christ. Uh, number six, the fruit of worship. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that pro openly profess his name. Worship is a fruit. The more we grow in Christ and fellowship with Christ and as life gets in us, we can't help but to want to worship him. So this is a growing value in my life. Um, one of the reasons it's, it's, I, I've had a growing passion for personal worship and then our corporate worship uh, becoming more engaging, you know, us actually engaging more, not just singing songs, going nice song, man, band went's great today, uh, but actually like worshiping in our services is because of what I experienced in India just a few weeks ago. So people have been asking me, hey, can you tell us about India? So I promised I would dribble some stories in. So here's a story, okay? So I was in India a few weeks ago. If you're new to restoration, we, we have some partnerships over there. Uh, raised some money through a golf tournament for one of our partnerships this last week. And then I was in Delhi with Jay Tendra. He's uh, part of our, our team here. He was in the last service. And we were training, we were training uh, pastors who were wanting to do disciple-making movement work. And so did some trainings and stuff, very humbling. Most of these guys have been persecuted, beaten for their faith. Very, very humbling. And then I, I preached twice in between trainings. Uh, one was actually in Delhi. And that was quite an experience. Never been to an Indian service like this. And I, I walk in the storefront. Uh, it's like 90-something degrees outside, 100 whatever in, in inside, super humid. Courtney was there. And so I walk in, I'm already sweating a little bit. Um, their services go three hours, okay? They're long, so don't complain if I go too long today. <laughs> Three-hour services, right? And man, they get into it. Like, they're very emotive. And so uh, they, they dance in their services. They start dancing. And uh, 
cool. And uh, it's like a rave, you know, like they're, they're mainly just jumping up and down. I don't want my shirt to get up. You don't want to see that. They're mainly like doing the rave thing, you know? And then uh, the guys are doing, especially guys that are like bigger, they really do this well. Like they're doing this thing where their hips, my hips are kind of locked up to, but it's kind of like, I'd have to work on it some. You probably don't want to see that either, but they're like really getting into it. And I'm not a dancer. Okay. I'm like, my, when we go dancing, my wife leads. Cause like, I got no rhythm girl. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm sitting there in the back, you know, and I'm, I'm watching going, okay, it's really cool. They, they like to dance here, you know, and I'm hot. Um, um, and that looks really hot. If I dance, I'm going to get even, even more hot. And then I sense the Holy Spirit saying, oh, you need to get out there and dance. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't dance. And I don't want to dance. I got to preach a little bit. I need to save my energy. I haven't slept since I've been here. And I, so I'm having this argument with the Holy Spirit, like, no, you need to get out there and dance. I'm like, I better get out there and dance. So I get out there and I start jumping around with them. And I, these guys are teaching me these moves and stuff, this Elvis thing. And uh, I do this for like 20 minutes. And so by the time I get to preach, I'm soaked. Like from here down, I'm just wet, okay? I finish preaching, I'm from here down, soaked, okay? And then, uh, it, and then the strangest thing happened. We finished the, the, the worship on the back end of the service. And uh, the pastor's there, Jay and this other guy go, hey, if you need freedom, come forward. What do you mean, freedom? Because there's an interpretation going on, Hindi to English. I go, freedom, huh? What's that about? And, 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 and sure enough, these people come forward and uh, they're struggling with demon, demonization. I go, whoa. And I, I asked the Lord, I said, hey, I've, I've read about this. I've read tons of books on you know, spiritual warfare. I'd like to see this someday. He's like, well, here's your chance. So uh, literally, there were some people who got freed from being demonized. Like, wow, that was a trip. And the other people on staff, like Courtney, they were in the sit in the back. I got a bird's eye view. They didn't see it. So they were kind of skeptical. Were you not skeptical? Okay. And so then uh, Wednesday night, we, we do another uh, training event and I preach and then we're worshiping in a church in Shimla and it's dark and they're uh, up kind of high because they're hiding because of persecution. And then same thing in the service, uh, the pastors say, hey, if you need some freedom, come forward. And here's how this works. So in, in India, uh, they blatantly worship like, uh, gods, snake gods, monkey gods, all kinds of gods. And there's tons of black magic and witchcraft, which is why I think you see a lot more of this over there than here. Although I will be honest with you, we had a woman get freed up from a demon after the service today. True thing, okay? Uh, I'm not trying to like get Halloween on you right now. That's not my main point, but I do want to share a little bit more what happened. So uh, these, these people are coming forward, not a lot, but three or four. And there's this one woman that weighs maybe 95 pounds and she's got long hair and she is being tormented, just tormented. And so uh, I asked Jay, I said, hey, if this happens again, like, can you coach me? I want to be able to do this someday. Not that I want it to be like a weekly thing around here, okay? But um, I, I want to learn how to do this. And so we have a training cycle here where there's teaching someone how to pray or share their faith or lead a simple church, we model, assist, watch, lead. I go, Jay, I just want you to model and I'm gonna assist a little bit, but I'm not doing this because I might get beat up or something. And he goes, sure, Pastor Ron. And so for Jay, this is just another Wednesday. So these demons are manifesting and he's watching this one woman and I'm going, what's going on, Jay? He goes, well, he goes, the worship's driving, driving this demon crazy. And so the pastors go, worship more. <laughs> It's the people that get like fervent in worship, like hallelujah, hallelujah, holy, holy, holy. And they're singing songs. The, the tempo goes up in terms of their worship. The temperature goes up spiritually in the room. You can feel it's palatable. And he goes, this, this demon may come out just from the worship. I go, really? That can happen? He goes, oh yeah. They hate worship. They hate Jesus being glorified and praised. I go, wow. And then uh, a little later he goes, no, nah, this demon is pretty stubborn. We're going to have to cast it out, if you say so, Jay. And this one's like flailing around and stuff. And so, I, again, I'm, I'm just, you know, he's modeling. So Jay's got his hand on her. He's praying. And I'm, I'm back here trying not to get hit, you know, because I'm just assisting. I'm the novice here. I'm praying like crazy. I'm like, whatever he's saying, do it again. And, <laughs> and then sure enough, this woman gets freed. And I could tell more about this story. It, it gets wilder, but she gets freed. And immediately she's exhausted. They, they lay her down on the ground for a little bit. And then some women come up, they pick her up, they give her some, some water and some food. And, and then uh, Jesus, uh, Jay says to her, uh, hey, hey, if you don't receive Jesus Christ, that could happen again. You need to receive Jesus Christ. And I don't know what happened later. 
she received Christ and got baptized or not. But uh, that's some pretty compelling evangelism, by the way. But what I left with, like what marked me wasn't so much like, you know, what you call power evangelism or, or wow, that's so cool that, you know, we can cast demons out of people and that I've never seen it, but it's really, it's like, this is real. Like I knew it was real, but I, like, I really have seen it now. It's real, real stuff. I, I, I didn't leave like, oh, that's so cool or impressive or whatever. What I left with was the power of worship. More than anything, I, what marked me was what happened when, as they worship more and more, it was driving the darkness out of people. Worship is powerful. Worship is really powerful. It drives darkness out of people. It pushes back against the darkness in this world. God says he inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, he makes himself present. Restoration, I want us to grow as a church that worships. I don't want us to sing songs and critique the music as we walk out of here like, oh, that's pretty good. Three songs today. Oh, that's, that's nice. That's good. It's good. Not four, three. No. Let's, let's, let's evaluate ourselves as we leave here today based on how engaged we are. Now, I'm not saying you got to dance, raise your hands. I don't know what that looks like for you. Just ask yourselves today, how much are you engaged, like really worshiping God from your heart today as we worship him? Can we work on that today? Okay, amen, amen, amen. Okay, um, let's, let's look at all six of those fruits real quick. So these are the fruits that become more and more evident in our lives as we stay connected to the divine vine. So let me ask you this. Would you like to be married to that person? Would you? If you're younger, would you like to like, have that kind of person for a parent? Would you like to work for that person? Would you like to be a part of a church full of people like that? Yeah. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to become like a fine, fine wine. Last topic today. How to stay connected to the divine vine. John 15, 5. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this idea of remaining, abiding in other translations, it's super, super important. We're going to cover it over and over again in different ways the next few weeks. Uh, but the word in Greek is, is minnow. And uh, I like the translation abide. You could translate this to, to stay in, to commune with, to continue in. I like abide because think about like an abode, like a place where you live. I, I like that because what Jesus wants is he wants us to live in him. And he wants to l- literally live in us and through us bearing fruit inside of us and bearing fruit through us. I love that image. One of the ways that I understand this in my, my mind is to, to distinguish between union and communion. So union is how you begin a relationship with God. It, it, it's like when a, a, a branch on a vine is torn off one vine and grafted into another vine. I think we have an image of that. So this is like a thing. So in some... Some uh, vineyards, they'll, they'll take a branch from maybe a dying vine and go put it in a vine that's vibrant and alive and they tape it up, you know, and then over time it just becomes one, becomes one and then the life of the vine gets into the branch and it begins to bear fruit, okay? This is what happens when we, we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The, the moment we confess him as our Lord and Savior and receive his grace and his forgiveness and reconciliation with God, all this bought for us on the cross, in that moment, we, we have a union with God that cannot be broken. There's union and there's communion. So last week, uh, we, we had six people, I think, get baptized. Uh, this year, we've had over 200 people plus in our movement locally get baptized. This is Alexis. So Alexis was an atheist just a few months ago. And, and he began to discover a yearning inside of his heart for something more. And so he began to watch YouTube videos on, on like uh, theology and apologetics and stuff. He's really, really smart. And he, he became more and more curious. And somehow he found our church. I'm not sure how. But he uh, developed a friendship with Zach Hammer, our, our college pastor. Zach led him, this is Zach over here, uh, led him to faith. And then last week he got baptized. Is that cool? Come on. Yeah. So Alexis, he has a, a union with, with God now. It was cool last week at his baptism. He goes, where else do you find people like this who don't even know you, who love you the way I've been loved here? Man, way to go, restoration. And so now that he has this union with Christ, he's going to grow in communion with Christ. 
as his fellowship and his intimacy grow deeper and deeper and deeper, he will bear more and more fruit. And we get to watch that. Uh, if you haven't experienced that, it's hard to describe what it feels like. But it is a feeling. Okay? It's not just a belief, it's a feeling too. And so I'm, I'm going to give a shot at like, how it feels for me. Um, when I am most intimate with Jesus, the, the primary feeling I have is love. I just feel God's love. He, when Jesus got baptized, he said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That's what I feel in my soul. And it's the best feeling in the world. I love my wife. I love being connected to her. I love my kids. I love my church. There is nothing that feels better than God's love in your heart. It's the best feeling. It's the dominant feeling we have when we're connected to Jesus and intimate with him is love. As I feel that love, I want to express it. I want to love people more. I also feel joy. Uh, I'm not naturally a joyful person. I'm naturally uh, like type A, intense and angry. My sisters say, man, you were born pissed off and you haven't changed. And I mean, that's, that's, that's my nature, right? And, and, and yet when I'm, when I'm close to Jesus, I don't feel angry. I feel joy. I, I feel this deep down soul happiness inside of me. I'm not naturally peaceful, but when I'm close to Jesus, I feel peace. I'm not worried about problem solving and trying to fix everything. I'm just like, ah, oh, I feel God's peace in my soul. It is the best feeling in the world. One of the reasons I share my faith like I did yesterday in the soccer field is I want everyone to feel that. Don't you? Yeah. All right. All right. So how do we grow that? How do we stay connected, remain, abide in, in, in Jesus? Um, so two weeks ago, I talked about the importance of a trellis. In verse two, it says that when uh, branches, disciples, they, they begin to fall. It's like we're a branch. We get down the dirt and our, our, our fruit starts to rot and like moths and predators can eat our fruit. God, our loving God, he picks us back up. He picks us up and he puts us back on the image as a trellis. So we got a trellis here. If you've ever been to a vineyard, you've seen these. So these are trellises, okay? And the, the purpose of a trellis is to keep the branches off, out of the dirt, up on the, uh, up, you know, towards the sun so they can get sun and photosynthesis and pull nutrients out of the water and, and the ground. And, and, and so God wants us to have a trellis that he can put us up on again and again and again so that we can be more connected to him and live more fruitful lives. So I've had people say, can you talk about that trellis thing again? So I'm going to do like trellis and redux today. If you want a longer version of this, go back to, ver to, um, to the first message and listen to a little more. I, I talk about rule of life. And um, by the way, there's a cool podcast I just discovered. John Mark Cummers, one of my favorite teachers in the U.S., has a new podcast called Rule of Life. Check it out. It's all about how to develop a trellis for yourself. So I'm going to repeat a little bit about what I do, not because I think you should do what I do, okay? My workouts won't work for you. My diet won't work for you. My trellis probably won't work for you, but some of the parts of it might. And my desire here, my motive is just to get you thinking again about your trellis because it's so important. We have a trellis. We have, we have some like patterns, some work and rest rhythms, some things we do on a regular basis, spiritual practices so that we can stay more connected to the vine and bear more fruit, okay? So uh, daily, daily, I get up kind of early and I, I go for a walk in, in uh, around the park, Wash Park, and I pray, I go through the Lord's Prayer. I mainly just worship though. I just worship and praise God. Then I come back, my coffee's ready. I sit down, read my Bible for a little bit, and I do what we call soaps. It's a tool to like meditate on scripture and apply it to our lives. I have a prayer list. You guys are on it. I, I pray for people. Um, I journal. I, talk about, I, I journal my feelings because I'm not naturally a feeling person. Like, what am I feeling today? And I write that stuff out. And then I, I ask God, what do you want me to do today? And I write down the top three things. And I make sure I do those top three things that God wants me to do that day, okay? Uh, let's see, I work out because it's spiritual for me. And then um, I get home, we have dinner and we try to get off screens, although it's really challenging. Pray for us. We have a hard time getting our faces out of these things. You probably do too. No, no TV. We try to shut it down at a certain point, read to the kids, pray and just like be still, be quiet, get off the screens. Uh, let's see, that's daily. Oh, oh, I set my alarm every few hours because I disconnect. And so all this, my alarm goes off every three hours and I might be in a meeting. I'll just pray ten, for 10 seconds. Jesus, help me abide in you. If I have longer, I'll read the scriptures for a little bit, you know, three minutes, whatever. But I, I keep coming back and, and, and reconnecting because I get disconnected so easily. Oh, oh, I go to bed at a certain hour because sleep is worship, right? Somebody, sleep is worship, okay. And then uh, let's see, weekly, 
Weekly, I'm in my simple church on Wednesday nights. I'm with you guys worshiping on, on Sunday. Uh, we, we Sabbath on Friday or Saturdays, depending on the kids and their schedule. We try to shut things down, rest, and just do things that give us joy. Uh, on a monthly basis, we tithe 12% of our income. Uh, I try to uh, hike Mount Falcon once a month, get some silence and solitude, pray for the city uh, from up on top of Mount Falcon. Uh, annually, we, we take vacations. For my wife and I, there's just something really spiritual for us going to Mexico and, and drinking margaritas in, in the sand. <laughs> I, it work, I'm, I'm not kidding you. For us, that is a very spiritual experience. and It really, really helps. And so annually, we, we, we get away. Uh, let's see, what I hunt once a year. For me, hunting, large animals, it's a, it's a spiritual experience. I'm elk hunting with Jason here in a few weeks. There's something about killing a big animal, butchering it, and eating it all year long. I kid you not, like, this is a spiritual experience for me. Uh, you vegans are like highly offended, I know right now. Um, let's see, what else do I do? Oh, we, uh, we give an extra offering, year an offering, above and beyond our tithe, and uh, you know, I go to conferences and stuff that, that nourish my soul. That's me, that's me. Every one of us is a zero to one. We're all different, all of us. We all have to figure out what it looks like for us to have a trellis that God can put us on so that we can grow spiritually. And, and don't let your stage of life be an excuse, okay? Because I've got five kids. There are seasons when you can barely brush your teeth, you know? It's a big day if you brush your teeth and use the bathroom, right? Your moms know what I'm talking about. Or you're starting a company. You're just crazy, crazy busy. But whatever season of life you are in, there is a way for you to stay connected to Jesus, like when we have kids, we just cut everything down by like 75%. But we keep doing the same things. Work out five minutes, not 20. Uh, pray five minutes, not 20. Like we, you just cut the time down, but you have a trellis. And you fight to stay connected. And trust that whatever season of life you're in, that's the perfect climate like Jason talked last week for you to grow in that season. John Wesley's mom. I've been reading a lot about John Wesley. She had 19 kids. That's a lot of kids. Um, nine died. But even when she had 10, she found a way to, to pray and have a quiet time. Can you imagine? She was poor, had a little tiny house. Can you imagine having 10 kids and having a quiet time? But what she would do is she would get a chair, put it in the middle of the house, sit down in the chair and take her apron and put the apron over her head, you know, signaling to her kids, shut up, I'm having a quiet time, okay? If she can have a quiet time with 10 kids, we can figure this out. Amen, somebody? All right, all right, all right. Krista just puts duct tape on the kid's mouth and then <laughs> takes it off 20 minutes later. I'm kidding. No, she would never do that. All right. All right. I want to end with a, a story about some of the women in the brook. Uh, if you need a restoration, the brook is our, our young professional ministry. Molly leads it. She does a fabulous job. We had some, uh, some women recently who did the, uh, what do they call it, the Camino... De Santiago, that's what it was. It's this, it's this pilgrimage you can do. In fact, Jeff Davenport, one of our teaching team members, is doing it right now with the masters. They were, Jimmy was an elder for a while. It's like a big thing, I guess, at Restoration these days. It's where you, you uh, go on a pilgrimage and you trace the steps of St. James. And uh, so these ladies did this, and um, I guess they had a fabulous experience. And uh, while, they were, while they were doing this pilgrimage, they started talking about like the relationship with God and stuff. And so two of them got baptized on the pilgrimage. Kind of cool. And then uh, they ran into a woman and they had a spiritual conversation with her because people on this pilgrimage, whatever their background is, where their belief system is, it's a spiritual experience. And so they started talking about her journey and, and she wasn't a disciple. And they talked to her and then two days later, they ran into her again and they continued the conversation. And this woman came to faith and got baptized. Is that cool? That's pretty cool. You see these women uh, in this picture that are part of the, the brook, uh, they're fruitful. They're really fruitful. And as a church, we get to watch this, the fruit grow, right? Like they're becoming holier. There's more love, more joy, more peace. There's all these attributes of God. We're seeing them. These attributes of God become more and more evident in their lives. It's beautiful to watch. They're sharing their faith. People are coming to faith. People are getting baptized. Disciples are being made. They're pouring into disciples and helping disciples make disciples or leading simple churches. But what's happening in these women's lives is beautiful. And the reason they're bearing fruit is because they're choosing to remain in Jesus. They're chasing hard after Jesus, making sure they stay connected and close to him. Restoration of family. 
Our Savior wants us to be like a fine, fine wine. Every single one of us. He, he wants us to bear all kinds of fruit. All we have to do is stay connected to the divine vine. So I have an I will statement for you. If you need a restoration, we do these in our simple churches. It's an, an act of the will. We, we make choices to grow. And this one's very simple. Um, I will remain in Jesus right now. Right now. Remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus is a moment by moment decision. In faith, we go, I want to abide in Jesus right now. Lord, what does that mean? And then we just obey him, whatever he says. So this is your statement, should you choose to accept it. I will remain in Jesus right now. If you accept this I will statement, say amen. All right, you're a good church, you're a good church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for these verses that you've inspired. Even the scary verse, verse six, we, we thank you that you want us to examine our fruit, not to scare us, but to deepen our assurance that we're in Christ and to evaluate the level of connection that we have. And so as we prepare to come to the table, help us evaluate, help us fruit inspect our lives. And then Jesus, we thank you for the promise you've given us. All we have to do is stay close to you and the fruit will just come. Help us remain in you. Help us be a church that bears much fruit to the glory of God. As you're meditating on what the Spirit is saying to you today, I want to speak briefly to those of you who, uh, if you're honest, you would say, I don't have a union with Jesus. I'm not connected to him, but I think I want to be. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you, to die for you, to forgive your sins, to make you right with God. It's a gift. You can't earn it. All you can do is receive it. And so right now, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as your one true King, you're committing right now to follow Him. Say amen in your heart. Say amen. Yes, Lord, I receive you as my Savior and my King. And if that's your heart's desire today, we would encourage you to get baptized as soon as possible. Not because it saves you, but because it's your first act of obedience, showing the world and showing God that your sins have been washed away and you've been raised to a new life in Christ. Okay. Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. Amen.